Let's go. So episode two left us with three different squads. So in this episode for episode three, we will be covering each one individually. So we're going to start with Perrin and Egwene. Then we'll move to Moraine, Lan, and Nynaeve. And then we will end with Rand and Matt. So starting off with Perrin and Egwene, they find themselves on the other bank of the river at the end of episode two, kind of calling for Matt and Rand. They find themselves alone and in need of some warmth. So they do have some wolves at their back as well. So their idea is to make a fire to then ward off the wolves. But a very interesting part about this scene is that they're both trying to make the fire. Egwene's getting the kindling. Perrin is trying to make the spark. And Egwene also tries the channel. So we don't know who actually made the fire. Who do you think made the fire? Oh, I like thought it was confirmed that it was Egwene. Hey, okay. What did we say about the word confirmed? <laughs> I, I'm learning. But yes, I heavily believed that it was Egwene. I didn't even know that people were thinking, you know, Perrin actually did get it and it was up in the air. Because I know Perrin makes a comment like, oh, can you channel some food and water? Yeah. But that also could be Perrin just I mean, thinking he was, that he did wrong and didn't do it. He was legit bleeding from his hand because he yeah. was striking it so much, right? I think if he doesn't ask her the question, did you do that? It's up in the air. It's up in the air, but the fact that he already kind of noticed it as well that it makes it more so Egwene did it. And I think from a show perspective, at least from what you guys have been talking about with the comparisons and everything in the sense that like Kyle, you made the reference that when she was looking at the stone, she was making the reference to the river. She already had the river experience. It was just a spark. It wasn't like she was doing mm-hmm. full on fire magic. Like it was just enough to get the fire going. And it gave a nice little close up of the knife that he was striking against the rock trying to get a spark, which was Layla's Layla's knife that Matt just gave him last episode. So, you know, it was cool. To show that continuity. Can we establish the term Emmons 5? I don't think we said that yet, right? Like the Emmons Field 5 is just the, the fantasy community term. Nynaeve is considered one of the five. It's just Nynaeve, Perrin, Matt, Egwene, and Rand. Yeah, she's considered one of the five, irregardless of her status as a candidate for the Dragon Reborn. Sure. Yeah, and it's just it's just awesome to note. Like they have so much history together growing up. Like they're twenty years of age in that farming village. Perrin knowing Rand care how much he cares about Egwene, and then like they cuddle up next to each other, like it's platonic. It's just awesome to see how close they are. And this really shows you that I think before we get to my fucking favorite dream sequence of all yeah. time, this is just a nice scene for me. I think as a Perrin fan because it just shows you how much he wants to protect Egwene and how much he's trying to like assume that role for the two of them. Yeah. Obviously, it's. Also, a little bit of a leftover from doing Layla so wrong mm-hmm. that he wants to, in a way, redeem himself. But obviously, Egwene doesn't realize that's what's happening because she don't know. So speaking of an unfortunately dead Layla, we move <laughs> into uh, another dream sequence, which Dave actually described for us a little earlier. Perrin wakes up. Layla's not in his bed. He then travels into the forge and sees a wolf eating Layla's intestines. We mentioned a little bit earlier of how Perrin kind of switches plates with the Dark One. We mentioned how great the music was. Dude, the production value in this scene alone, regardless of what you think of what's happening, is just so fucking top tier. I watched the scene four times, and there's not even really that much going on. It's just how quality the directors and the cinematography is for this whole scene, just like the bass and the freaking flashing of the Dark One. It, it is so fucking good. You can absolutely tell that this was inspired from some form of horror sequence because of what you mentioned with the dark one being in the background, the lightning's flashing. He's no longer there. Lightning flashing comes back and he's there. It's 
straight out of a horror movie. It's so well done, this scene. I hated that the first time we were watching it, the screen was buffering every literal five seconds. And I'm sitting there. This couldn't happen at a possible <laughs> worst time. That scene, I didn't notice it right away, but I think that has a little bit more meaning than anything we've seen before from the dark one, especially because when we first saw the dark one in dreams, everyone else was having those experiences, but at the same time, but in this moment alone, Perrin is the only one getting flashes that are strictly for him. And I don't know if it has to do with the wound or anything, but this definitely brings a little bit more eyebrow raising for me in terms of who the dark one could be and who the dragon reborn could be. The DR. Yeah. <laughs> the doctor. No, <laughs> shut up. The DR. This is also a good place to just reiterate Moraine's quote from episode two in that dreams have power. It's possible that there's a Raymundo from Shaolin showdown kind of <laughs> situation here where one of the quote unquote five DRs goes evil comes back, you know, because of ex- of his experiences as being evil also lets him grow a lot more and that makes him become the DR. So Perrin for me right now after this dream is my DR choice. That's your leading candidate. That's we're going to leaning... at the end of the episode but yeah. keep it cuz we're going to put it on the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for right now he's my leading candidate. So we continue with the wolf theme after the fire and the dream Perrin is woken by Egwene. The wolves are coming again. So now they're on the run from this pack of wolves. And after running through the woods, they come on to this big open field. And Egwene kind of is questioning the motives of the wolves at this point. They're not really attacking them. They're almost pushing them in a certain direction. And I'm assuming that you guys are obviously also thinking this as well, in that there's clearly a connection that they're hammering home with the wolves and parent. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, because the wolves, they made it a point like in the first episode, like we were talking about, they kind of are a threat, but they're not a threat at all to Perrin. When they stopped at the the edge of the woods, they can't leave the woods. And then like (laughs) later on, we see, no, they're kind of keeping their distance. It's almost like they're chasing them or pushing them, literally hurting them east is the direction they're taking them. And I think they have a line about that, too, eventually saying like, it seems like they're guiding us somewhere yeah so they do come upon at this point some tire tracks parent investigates the tracks and figures that there's a decent amount of people that are in this this group of people that are moving and we end up meeting them in a very interesting way parent has that another moment where the kind of sound dampens for him and you hear the barking but it turns out to just be dogs and there's a group of people that then ask them a very odd question of do you know the song what were you guys thinking at this point i literally said out i was like what <laughs> yeah this is a little bit confusing yeah this kind of came out of left field to me and it really emphasizes to me how sectional these regions of this realm seem to be one second we're all in this low-end village one second they're running from the trollocs and then they're in shadar logoth then they're running from the disease, and now all of a sudden they're in a section that's run by like these. At first, I thought they were like zombie people, like they don't seem they're just I don't know what they are, but you know, they're hippies, hippies, yeah, so, they're just like surrounded by hippies all of a sudden. It just seems very sectional, everything happens in very like, phases. Almost. It's funny you say that because their purpose they're they're called tinkerers, right? Mm-hmm. That's we find out this is a new faction, you know me already. If you're you've been listening to this whole episode, I'm a, I'm a faction guy. We know that. Especially know that. with the fantasy. I think it's so well done. The tinkerers, they are 
peaceful gypsies. That's the best way to describe. They hate battle. They hate war. They hate weapons. Bottom line is that this group of people, these travelers, they're all over the world, Dave. So they're never in the same spot. So when you're saying like cultural and regional, they're actually wanderers. It's just a coincidence at this point that like they just ran into these people. For sure. For sure. You can tell they're super accepting. They invite Perrin and Egwene to their fire with almost no questions asked. And just keep in the back of the mind the do you know the song question because that might come up later at some point. But that was my question. I was going to ask what happens if what would happen. You don't have to answer this if you think it's a spoiler. My question when I was what I was thinking was if they did sing the song, what happens? I don't know. Okay. No comment. Okay. No comment. That's fine. That's fine. Just leave it at that. That's all I want to know. They they were friendly only because they didn't know the song. Really. What if uh, somebody who knows the song is like a god and they just worship him? I mean, that's possible, too, I guess. I think I'm thinking negatively about the situation, but I guess it's possible. Just now we meet a couple of these characters. I don't. Do you remember their names? uh, Yeah, it's Ela, Rayan, and Aram. So Ela and Rayan are married and Aram is going to be their grandson. And I think that's pretty much where we end their plot line, right? Yeah, we get, we get a little bit of information about them. And in terms of their reputation, Aram has a quote of like, you know, the people that are here to steal your gold and, and things of that nature. So you get a little bit of, of insight into what other people think of the Tinkers. But in general, they're just kind of a, a traveling band of people. This season one, we'll learn a little bit more about them in the coming episode. So we can have that discussion a little bit later. There is cool. a lot of... I don't even know if you could call it racism, but like, you know, these tinkerers clearly are shunned and seen as savages. And then we see in this episode as well with the IL, IEL, IEL. Yeah. Like that people also think that they're savages. I don't know if there's maybe a connection between the two groups, but I just am noticing that there's a lot of hate in this world. It's just like the different nationalities are like segregated. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't call it racism, but it could be, I guess that to that level it is. And it's super intricate, like different parts of the world think about different factions in different ways. Like that's how we were referencing earlier, how Aes Sedai are viewed by some people in yeah, in, a, in a negative light and then some people in a positive light it's totally hate. that's that's There's just what hate. this is it's it's super cultural based and regional areas matter about about their different perspectives but yeah no that's a good observation because different people are hearing rumors some people have experience with meeting tinkerers and then the rumors flow and there's so much happens that and you I, still know i'm just going to cut in really quickly and it's tinkerers it's not tinkerers. okay i yeah. had tinkers in my notes yeah it's tinkerers not tinkerers. Well, now it's tinkerers, so you better fucking now. fix that, Brandon Sanderson. No, Brandon, <laughs> Brandon Sanderson. I mean, eventually. Yeah. Um, yes. To just keep going off this train of thought is the reason why I think there also might be so much hate is that a lot of the towns and things that we have seen have been very, I, I guess you could say, underprivileged. Like they're not very wealthy towns. Like we haven't seen a fucking castle. We haven't seen a king, a queen someone of royalty and it's just a lot of these backwater towns that you know probably breed hatred and racism and i don't know if that's a theme or a connection but that's just one of the things i'm noticing now that i'm talking about it all is that we haven't seen wealth yeah no one's wealthy that seems to be the drive of a lot of different communities in like fantasy is hatred for mm-hmm. another community Elves are usually the ones like druids and elves are always Uh, hated. Always fucking the sus. I hate whoever hates the other. (laughs) Just everybody. Let's just be cool. Let's just. Um, Yeah, let's be cool. It's more of just a fear of outsiders in general. 
it's less of a which end of your race ends up being. It's more of a you're not us. I don't trust you. Yeah. And we always quote this when we're talking. I mean, say this topic when, when we're talking about even just Game of Thrones in general. When you see someone traveling on the road, there's like a 50-50 shot they want to kill you. So it's mm-hmm. like so survivor instincts yeah, to just hate yeah. outsiders. And it makes yeah. sense. The one line where I was like, dude, Perrin, this is the moment. Do it right now. Egwene says to him, oh, like you're trying to protect me because you lost like the one you love. It's not your fault. I was like, Perrin, right now, there's only one person. Tell her. He was acting so protective of Egwene saying, I'll go first. You stay back. I'll go first. And Egwene is like, why are you acting like this? We can go together. I get that you're being overprotective because you lost the one you love. It, it's not uh, your she's fault. She's thinking that like, it's not your fault that the Trolloc yes. killed her. Okay. Yeah, yes. Okay. That makes sense. I was like, you're saying it's not your fault that you killed him. Like, so he admitted it. She's like, saying it's like, okay. it's not your fault. Got you it. couldn't protect her. Got it. Really? Hmm, he kind of swung it. <laughs> yeah. He, he swung that fucking thing. Yeah. We don't bring that up that much. We leave Egwene and Perrin at the fire of the Tinkers. We move now to Moraine, Lan, and Nynaeve. This is actually the opening to episode three. We get a little bit of a flashback to Nynaeve's journey from being snatched at Winter Night to then coming upon the group in Shadar Logoth at the end of episode two. So basically, the flashback is, is just Nynaeve being a fucking savage. Just going to emphasize stealth here. I mean, she, so she was able to hide in the pool, not create any wakes to the point that the child would notice. Rose in the water, snuck up behind him and stabbed him multiple times, killed him. So I just want to emphasize stealth for Nynaeve here. I am a show Nynaeve fan at this point. Like we already knew she was, she had the motherly instinct. She's super aggressive. She hates Aes Sedai. Those are things we knew about her. But now that she can get shit fucking done, like how many people could have just one-on-one to Trolloc like this in this situation? Nynaeve is a badass. Only and they did co- a great job of showing her. I think we said it too in the instant reaction that like only a couple people have like 1v1 Trollocs and she's it's on like that Lan, short list. Yeah, Lan. Somewhat Taryn. Yeah. Parents, Perrin and Layla him. technically do it, but oh, yeah. I mean, Rand and his father have to team up to do it for them. And so it's definitely a feat in its own. <laughs> I could probably do it. When she was hiding in the wells, she made it a point in the first episode. She was saying, hey, it is a privilege because these are sacred, you know, uh, what is it? Sacred ponds, sacred pools. wells, pools. Are they going to go back to that? Because I want to know why they're sacred or were they just hinting at it so she could hide in it? My answer is going to be no comment. Watch and find out. Oh, waffle. Yeah. A little waffle for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that is one of my big questions going forward, I guess. Why are these pools sacred? Just a very important point I will make, though, is that when she kills the Trolloc and the blood gets into the water, it does make a pattern. And I would just keep the pattern in mind. But now we're caught back up with Nynaeve at the end of episode two and I just want to point this out. If you're a book reader at all, I thought this was such a nice touch that two times already throughout these first three episodes, Lan compliments Nynaeve's tracking ability. I know you guys have picked up on it because we had a lot of off pod conversations about it, but dude, it is just so next level at how good she is at tracking. And the fact that Lan is acknowledging it and he is next level himself. And he's so shocked that she had the ability to track him from Emmons Field all the way to where they currently are near Shadow Logith, which you guys have no idea of how far that is based on the map. But it's a good enough area where, Jesus Christ, it's so cool that they're paying attention to that much detail and giving Nynaeve the respect because that's such a cool part of her personality that not only is she a wisdom, she knows healing, 
and you know she can listen to the wind and stuff but she's a fucking badass tracker i dude, agree naive's on another level with that stuff dude lan was like dude how did you find us yeah. and she just wouldn't answer the question i was like answer the question i want to know and he even goes on to say it later like, he's like dude like why won't you tell me and she's like you know what I'll tell you in a little bit. <laughs> she is a sassy ass bitch, and I love it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't take shit from anyone. She doesn't I, care that he's a warder. She doesn't care that Moraine's a nice to die. She doesn't care who you are. I really like her. Yeah. She's definitely one of my top characters, top favorite characters. Both Lan and Nynaeve gain trust to each other by just watching the other person. Lan eventually leaves and goes on his journey, and you know he trusts Nynaeve, and Nynaeve also reiterates the fact that she trusts Lan. So it's a, that's a great relation. Those are just. Two of the strongest people that aren't Marine that we've seen interact, and they're just slowly gaining trust for each other. I just can't imagine that duo kicking ass together. I mean, so far. we didn't even talk about how she was holding the sword to his throat, and he was walking closer saying, heal her. You know, we need your help. You're the only wisdom around. She's like, no. And then he, he's walking closer. He's like, come on. We, you, we both know you're not going to use that and then of course she tries to swing he steps to the side grabs her and he's like dude you just tried to kill me why do i have a boner (laughs) it was so fucking cool because she was totally gonna kill lan right there but his his confidence sinks are too good yeah it's too good did a classic hit her in the back of the head with her hilt and knock her out yeah the classic (laughs) (laughs) so naive transitions from tracker to wisdom she creates a little bit of a poultice. I believe that's how you say that word for Moraine's wound after she pops that thing like a zit. And this is an important scene where we learn more about the warder bond. Aes Sedai's have warders. They are magically bonded together. And then even this scene mentions how warders can feel what Aes Sedai feel. So she warns him this is going to hurt, pops that thing like a zit and Land doesn't flinch. Doesn't even freaking break a sweat. That was Two nasty. comments. Love Land, obviously. I think right now, at this point in time, he is my favorite character. <laughs> Love me some Land, but also that scene, I'm going to pass watching that ever again. Like, I'll just <laughs> second time, third watch through, both times just didn't look. I could not handle it. It was so gruesome. It was cool to see that she knew what she was doing. The the bond between, you know, Ice Die and her warder, you know, that just makes them on a whole nother level. They're already so cool together the way they fought and how close they are. But just that just is like a whole nother level. Little sidebar here, because I was watching this scene. And when they said that he can feel her pain, I was on uh, Reddit the other day and I was reading a thread on the fantasy page and fantasy it's not what you think it's like actual fiction fantasy not (laughs) sexy fantasy thank you for clearing that up and there was somebody who wrote a literal essay i'm I'm not kidding it was an essay about the lack of mentioning menstruation in all of fantasy wow and the impact that alone would cause on the the entire (laughs) adventure so like i'm watching that and of course it's just in the back of my head the entire time but then we get to this scene where they say he can feel oh everything she God. feels. So I'm like, does he feel her cramps? <laughs> like yeah. she needs it? Yeah. Like, every like once a month. Like he's just is that a spoiler. Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah. He would feel if she were to menstruate. Is that happens when you menstruate, correct? You get cramps. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, I know things about women. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, Kyle knows clearly so Yeah, well. when she sheds her inner lining of her yeah. ovaries. So he oh, wouldn't gross. shed the inner linings of his ovaries, yeah. but he would feel the okay. pain. Okay, I gotcha. Yes. That's incredible because that's true. That is, yeah, <laughs> I like. Canon. If I, it's canon, that eyes <laughs> to die get period. Yeah. Because they are semi, they're fully magical beings. Yeah. So who knows if they menstruate? <laughs> but yes you would be correct gotcha. in that assumption okay we'll say though i like the idea of the uh warder and i said i person being connected through pain as well just because that kind of brings a weakness to them that you don't see on just from appearances because what we saw from her powers and land individually both of them are so strong but that is definitely a glaring weakness that if one can't support the other, then that really puts the other's life at risk. And I think that's a really Im- cool and different feature that we haven't really seen in many other fantasies and genres. And we will stick a pin in that thought <laughs> for years to come. Yeah, we'll get around to that. All one right, we'll eventually, see, you, we'll right? see you, you theory goers in season yeah. seven when this comes to fruition. So just to flesh out really quickly, Dave's point about the trust between Nynaeve and Lan, I think it really comes through in Land watches her kind of bandage up Moraine after all of this, and he leaves. He trusts Nynaeve to just stay alone with Moraine. He goes out to scout, and I think that's a big part of his character is kind of the actions, and more so than him like saying to her face, I trust you. I just really like that scene. I thought that was a nice little uh, way to show that. And I think that only leaves us with the ending of the episode itself, mm-hmm. right? So this mm-hmm. is a cool scene because... Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I think Leandrin Sadai is one of the best cast characters this entire show. Yeah. So we have a, I would say, short-term healed version of Moraine after what Nynaeve did. It wasn't a full heal, but she, she helped because Land says, he, he makes a comment about it, but they need to get to the next place. They need to find someone that can really, really help her. But when they're traveling, they you first see a, a, a green Aes Sedai up in the mountains she's wearing the green color and then that's when we see leandrin who's in the cold opening of episode one yeah yeah the red right exactly and she knows moraine by face of course and moraine's semi-conscious at this point she's enough to to be aware and stuff so they address each other by their honorifics is that what it's called yeah yeah so what leandrin says is that hey we finally caught the the man calling himself the dragon reborn down south we caught him and we have him. And this is when Leandrin, with like a smug smile on her face, trots out a man in a cage who has the death glare, who is all over the trailer. If you've seen any of it, if not, this guy is the man. So do we know his name at this point? No, no, no we, we haven't been told it. We have not been told it in the show. But I mean, yeah. it's been all over the yeah. marketing. Yeah. Just a super interesting character that you guys are going to. I think it just adds a nice wrinkle to the story, but they have this man in a cage and we know he's calling himself the dragon reborn. And we know that this girl already hates any, any males that are using the power. So that's kind of how we end this episode with this dude giving a death stare. And on that note, he is my favorite character. So <laughs> I'm so ready for this guy to just be a badass. You're like a dog. It's just like, so see sure. something, it's like, yo, what is that? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's literally top like, three. Just, yeah, right. you have missed any sort of mystery, and you're strong, but like that's that's all I need. Mystery this is and the strength. only thing I care about. Right yeah, now. it's literally that. So it's kind of impossible to ask character. for you guys, but you have any not theories? I guess just thoughts. Give me thoughts of what you think about this guy. Well, character. To be honest, uh, when they said uh, we haven't covered it yet, but in this episode they say there's five instead of four. 
I thought it was this guy. He was the fifth. You know, it was the normal four. I didn't know Nynaeve was the fifth, but we've kind of discussed it, and it kind of seems that she is. I thought this guy was going to be a contender. Maybe he's just, you know, a bad guy acting, but I have no idea. Wait, bad guy acting? What do you mean? Like bad guy acting like he's the Dragon Reborn because he wants to infiltrate like into some... He's know. just an antagonist, maybe not per se bad guy, but he's just not an antagonist friendly. to who? What's what's like the who, best? What main, you saying? He, like he would be an ob, like an obstacle for the main Squad. quote unquote main four. Okay. The best way to find somebody is for them to find you. So like if you you're trying to find people that are looking, okay. For, you think he got captured on purpose? Yes. Okay, that's an interesting thought. I never considered that. Yeah, I will I, agree with that. I think someone who's that who's going to claim all these things, like there's no way someone is who is the dragon reborn would get caught that easily without making it on purpose. In my uh, like an agenda. Okay. Or something. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So there's two quick points about this. First one, just a small little costume detail that I liked. If you notice the, the lapels on his jacket mm-hmm. or his cloak are dragons. I did see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was hot. I didn't see that. Okay. That's awesome. And that, yeah. the second one is when they mentioned in episode one, that there is war in Galden. They mentioned that there's a war brewing. That's him. Mm. So that was like a very small breadcrumb that this man would then get worked into the story with that. This guy definitely has a mystery about him and how he was introduced as a self-proclaimed DR that already brings so much attention to him. Like I am ready for the next episode, which I've been waiting for over a month and a half now (laughs) to fucking watch. And I'm finally ready to fucking see it. Um, I just am so and like enthralled by this character and i'm so ready to get his backstory i could see it going either way like you see it in a lot of tv shows movies blah 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 that like there could be someone who self-proclaimed and end up being the actual you know dr or whatever it is in that universe but also at the same time it's like you know in fucking spy kids three the guy (laughs) shows up he's like yeah i'm the guy dies within five minutes of being (laughs) announced like this could go either way you know so i think the showrunner Rafe Judkins came out and said that this character is one of his favorite characters from the books. I can already tell he's one of my yeah. favorites too. Is it's it- just a nice wrinkle to throw in at this point that like we're all sitting here thinking like, okay, which one of the Edmondsfield five, four or five, whichever way you want to take it, is going to be the Dragon Reborn, and then bam, we have this man who was claiming to be the Dragon Reborn. It's like, whoa, all right. Well, that adds definitely a wrinkle. Yes, it's a totally interesting storyline, and I cannot wait to see how they expand upon it. So moving on to our last pairing, we have Matt. That almost sounds like Perrin. Well, you said Heron. (laughs) Okay, so Heron the Perrin? Heron the Heron? There you go. So moving on to our last pairing, we have Rand and Matt. So we basically meet them almost wandering a mountainside. They're kind of have a nice little banter back and forth. They've been walking, obviously, for a decent amount of time. Matt's a little cold. Rand's kind of giving him jabs about how he's being a complainer. That's fairly book accurate. Matt's a little bit of a complainer. It kind of does fit with his personality. I just think that they did a good job of, at uh, putting their banter into the show. The man who walked while a little chilly. <laughs> yeah, it's just and it's I love how they, they frame it from that perspective of like Rand acting like Matt's going to be in some story that they're going to tell children in the future. And that's going to be what they know. After they do their walking, they come upon a town called Breen's Spring. They have quite the welcome to this town. They walk in and they see some man stuck full of arrows hanging in a cage. It's no longer a man. That's just a skeleton at that point in time. What point in time? That one? 
<laughs> I hate myself. I'm never going to say it again. This is a fairly quick scene, but there's two kind of interesting points in that Matt eyes up the gem that is hanging from the man's belt. And then Rand kind of gives him a little bit of a warning like, yeah, so you're going to behave yourself because of this, right? Always looking for something to steal. It's pretty cool. He actually does that through, like throughout the rest of this episode, too. Like he's just walking around inside. He's like eyeing stuff up. He's a really good actor, which, again, I'm just upset. So Rand and Matt enter a tavern. Clearly, they only have enough money for food. They don't have enough money to stay anywhere. But at the very least, they get some grub and they are just in time for the Gleeman show. Let's fucking go, Tom Marilyn. The goat has arrived. Enter stage left. Tom Marilyn. We learn his name a little later, but he deserves getting it named now. He starts with a very nice song. And we'll be able to talk about the song, I think, a little later. But I will say that those words have a lot of meaning for the story of the Wheel of Time. They're mush now. If I'm honest, I, at first, I kind of thought that he wasn't a great singer. <laughs> but the second time I hear it and the more I hear the song, I really like it. I feel like it really hits like the mournful like sad tone of the oh, words second my, listen was way better for me yeah I was my like, thoughts racing during that scene the second time where he's not an extraordinary singer he's not he's not make, adele yeah exactly he's not adele i was looking for that comparison he's not adele but i think it also to me it was like oh maybe this guy's a drinker a little bit the drinking has affected his voice a little bit over the years you know something he's a smoker maybe but he doesn't have that natural just flow of singing He's no Yasker from The Witcher. That is, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the comparison well, right there. Yasker. Dandelion. Very different vibe. I said out loud, he's called a Gleeman. Why is he singing such a depressing song? I literally wrote down like, man who can't forget. Is that a thing? Is that going to be a thing? That is such a great segue. There's two things you just said, because to take a little quote from the book that Tom actually says in the books that Gleeman is kind of a happy name, but a man who knows the past is very dangerous. A nice little characterization from the book from our boy Tom. And also, it's just he doesn't play the guitar in the books. I think that's just more of like a modern choice. I think it honestly works a little better. And I do think that the actor himself plays the guitar. So that's why they made that change. But he plays the harp and the flute a lot in the books. I don't think it's that big of a deal to me. But post song, though, this was a good moment. IRL with Paul because we get a moment after everyone in the in the tavern starts clapping. They're giving the Gleeman his dues. And Tom actually rolls right up to Rand and Matt's table, sits down. And then Dana, who's our bartender, the tavern owner, she comes over with the drink, gives Tom the drink, but is putting it on Rand and Matt's tab. And at this point, I think, Paul, you were asking if Matt actually was trying to gonna rob Tom. And then like within five seconds, you find out that Tom was actually fucking with them and already robbed Matt, which was a really good moment because as you've been pointing out, Matt's a thief, but Tom fucking bested him. Tom doesn't rob Matt. The man robs Matt and then Tom steals Matt's money back from the random guy. Oh, shit. I missed that. Yes, that's yeah. how that yeah, that's what Paul. That was what Paul was saying. The random dude bumped into Matt and Paul was like, oh, he stole something from Matt. And then Tom Marilyn bumps into that guy. Oh, I missed that. And he goes over to the table and then it all gets reconnected that that Tom is just the best thief. OK, the king of I, thieves. originally the first time we watched. Yes, I was like, dude, this bitch is bumping in. Everybody's stealing. He's getting in the cage next. Yeah, that's what he originally thought. But <laughs> eventually when it re reveals that Tom has Matt's pouch. I believed that it was Tom and the random man working together. Mm. He bumped into Matt. The random man bumped into Matt, got his coin purse. 
and then bumps into Tom, but that's really the handoff. Hand yeah. When Tom shows the coin purse and reveals it, he like looks back and the random dude does like look and smile at him. So I figured the Gleeman was making boys with the people around him and, and paying them off. I didn't notice that the smile, the smile could insinuate that they were working together, but I didn't, I didn't notice that. So Tom keeps Matt's pouch a for a donation to the Gleeman and B to serve as a life lesson, which as he then says, all of the best ones are very expensive, which is a nice little parting shot that he throws at them. I like that. He just walks away kind of laughing after that. <laughs> but so now Rand and Matt are penniless. So they are forced to go to Dana, who is the bartender at this tavern and not grovel because that's beneath them, but they do offer to work. And we also find out that Matt likes an experienced woman. They, they're talking about the barkeep and Matt saying, hey, I wouldn't mind spending time with her. And Rand's like, dude, isn't she a little young for you? He says, I thought Moraine was more your speed. He goes, eh, make exceptions. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt Cawthon confirmed a MILF hunter. Yes, 100%. I respect it. This is like the first scene that we actually, I think, have so far where Matt and Rand completely blow up at each other. Yep. And it's mostly coming from Matt's side, I would say, because he's super pessimistic while Rand's being optimistic about meeting back up with Egwene and Perrin. But Matt's throwing him under the bus saying like, yo, like they're probably dead. And then they have their back and forth where he knows that Matt's just being cynical and just like trying to go home to, to for his sisters and stuff like that. And that's kind of where they're button heads and they just leave at that, which is important for a little bit later on when, yeah, when they get disconnected. Rand continues to chop his wood and that's when Matt goes inside to talk to the barmaid, uh, Dana, to, and they're just kind of shooting the shit. She's just trying to figure out what he's good at and turns out he's good at talking to people. I want to jump in here because I'm just going to straight up say that I think Dana and her performance is one of the best written parts of the entire three episodes. I think her yep. after you finish the episode in hindsight is fucking perfection. It is such a good depiction of what a dark friend can be, because in this conversation she has with Matt and then also later with Rand, it gets a little bit more expanded upon. She has like a backstory that's believable. You find out about her childhood. She's saying like, I've been every single person in here knows me. I grew up here. Like I have these dreams to go and travel and all these things. And it's like, this is a real person. She has layers and it's very believable because it is true, but it goes to show you that the twist in the end, when she is a dark friend, that's just the perfect example of how this world is. Any single person in the entire world, no matter how good they seem, can be a dark friend. And this conversation with Matt is just, did any of you even have a glimpse in your in your mind that you thought that she was going to be evil, like based on nope. these conversations? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, because she was even to talk about the backstory, she was like, hey, this is where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And then she started talking about her aspirations and she was like, oh, I would love to go somewhere, someplace where nobody knows me. And I'm like my own person, someplace completely new. And I'm like, all right, so what are they going to run away to run away together because matt know. was like oh you know like that wouldn't be a horrible idea also want to add dana talking shit as soon as matt says yeah i used to be a horse trader so, uh, oh shit yeah Yo, you guys hear that you got a horse trader with no fucking horses to trade does anybody need a horse trader with no horses <laughs> it was so good i loved it nobody gives a fuck where you're from <laughs> that is a nod to the books a little bit matt does have horse knowledge so does he have a horse cock Unconfirmed. Ooh, okay. Unconfirmed. That's upsetting. I'm I think I'm gonna be done with the show now. We better see. So Matt basically gets a job as a serving maid in the tavern by Dana because that's all he's good for, essentially. After his shift, Matt wanders back to the dead man in a cage 
only to be confronted by Tom Marilyn, the Gleeman. Tom basically confronts him about wanting to steal from a dead man and is kind of asking him what the fuck he's up to. Matt pulls the dagger on him, which I think is an interesting move. And Tom actually shows a little bit of a of a nice side here. I really like this scene because Tom is a good guy at heart. They're trying to show you. And he actually is there to bury the guy. So what did you think about that? Did you think he was actually like, did you think he was also there to steal the gem? I was surprised, to be honest. I really honestly thought he was going to be there to rob him. And the fact that he gave Matt the opportunity to go first, I don't know. Now that I'm kind of like we're talking about it, I don't know if it was maybe to get Matt to trust him. And then maybe in the end, like as they were leaving, maybe Tom was going to last second steal the gems that he knew that guy was going to have on him. But on paper, just face value, I was genuinely shocked that he was just like gave his approval to steal from the guy and then allow him to peacefully bury him. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool character trait that Tom actually does give a mm-hmm. shit about people yeah. and does want to bury them. And he, he goes on to even give the description of the guy in the cage who was an Aiel. A-I-E-L? Mm-hmm. A-I-E-L, yes. And, you know, he goes on to say people hate him because he's from somewhere else. But, you know, that's not justified. So, you know, Tom's a good guy. He even calls out uh, Matt, too. He's like, what do you know of the Aiel? And they're, oh, I hear they're just like they kill anyone that they see or whatever. And he's like, "Mm, that's not what I hear, though. I hear they're just proud people who are just very nationalistic. You know, they just love their own brethren. So one thing I picked up on here, and again, I even don't know much about the Aiel culture and stuff. But the way they dress is super specific. And the way this guy was dressed was actually pretty awesome. It kind of seems like it's a, you know what it is? It's like the people from Avatar, the ones in the <laughs> desert who are all super wrapped up, kind of like mummy oh, yeah, attire. The sandbenders. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm getting in my head. And that's what it looked like on screen. Um, but the one thing that Tom says is whenever they have their, uh, what's the word that he uses? Veil. The veil down thing that makes you look like a ninja basically Mm -hmm. when it's not covering your face you're not they're not a threat that's just like a cultural norm that tom establishes in this scene and that's what i'm getting because i really don't even know much past that but he says if the veal is pulled up that's when you're as good as dead and that's putting some respect on the culture as them being badass fighters and he does use the term they're honor bound warriors right yeah so so their whole culture is known apparently within the whole you know lands that they're badasses the veil is kind of them showing you tipping you off almost that enemy versus not yeah exactly which i think is a very interesting wrinkle so tom actually proceeds to then turn his back while matt does the looting i just like the line when he says we've all fallen on tough times we've all had rough experiences tom's obviously a well-traveled man he even yeah you could tell that dude has been in that position he even picks out where matt's from off of his clothes and his speech I just thought that was a nice scene as well. Tom is just the boss, basically, is what the end of episode three is trying to tell you. Funny, I like these side characters, I think, more than our main cast. Not to say that the main cast is bad at all. I just think that for me, targeted to me, I love these side characters more than the main cast. Don't say it like that. You just really like the side characters. Yeah, I just really like the side characters a lot. And Matt actually apologizes to the Aielman when he's looting him. And Tom does notice that. So it's also another thing where Tom is realizing that Matt's not a bad guy. He just is on some bad times. And the last thing I'll say about this scene is that Matt pulls that little dog, like wolf thing out of the guy's pockets, contents, whatever you want to say. And that will matter. That's just something to 
stick a pin in that and think about for the future. I don't even remember that, to be honest. I saw that, but that doesn't even, I don't even know. I mean, when you say wolf, my immediate thought is something to do with parents. No, no, no. It was literally, I mean, maybe, but it was literally like a dog. It was a wolf. I'm just, it, it was a four legged animal that looked like a dog. Yeah, it was like a dog statue, like this big. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Yeah. Do we also see that Matt steals the coin purse back? from yeah, yeah. because that we get the cool line about tom saying if you're going to steal from a dead man at least help him bury it so that happens then you're right paul he he that, that's a really cool moment yeah he's like hey like are you, now that we're acquaintances can you at least like give me my money back and tom goes in he's like what the all of a sudden bam is this what you're looking for cool moment for both of them Master cool for thief. matt because he's he learned and stole it back and then cool for tom because he was gonna give it back and tom was like all right like begrudging respect for you like yes. that was that was really cool no that was a good moment for the boys so moving on from tom and matt's budding bromance we lean into a little i guess almost romance we have rand and maya dana rather i'm sorry <laughs> i had maya ri- from the hundred i had it written as Maya because when we initially watched i didn't have the subtitles and shit and i was like ah it sounds like maya so rand and dana are flirting a little bit in the room. Uh, she kind of talks about what she would like to see in the world. We mentioned that a little earlier that she feels like she's stuck in her town. So I just like that she rattles off a lot of things in the world that we will end up getting to. So she mentions the Stone of Tear, the Lion Throne of Andor, an Ogier Steading, and then she does mention Trollocs, and we've seen Trollocs, so they're kind of has-beens at this point. <laughs> but they proceed to then have a very interesting conversation about choices and how the wheel weaves lives and whether you can kind of have an impact on that or if your destiny is almost chosen for you. And she even has a quote that I really like that says, the wheel hasn't given me many choices. So that's just what Luke was talking about er- earlier, just further kind of showing her mindset and why she ends up being a dark friend. I was a little confused about why Rand kind of lied, but specifically about what from where he was from and about like what he did right oh i mean i think that's just well first it plays into what well, you're gonna call matt out for lying because matt said that they were from Berlon, and then two okay. there's no benefit in saying like the origins when they know so many people are out there looking for him specifically the trollocs armies and the dark one gotcha my only comment is from all the tv you like i've ever seen and everything is that Villains have backstories too. So it doesn't surprise me that someone in her position who we don't know her entire backstory, but it, what it sounds like is that she just grew up in this town. It seemed like the destiny was turned for her, like that she was just going to live this life and that was just going to be it for her. And of course, if you, if you find that out or if you come to that realization, you want to break out of that cycle, you want to break out of it. And if someone is offering you like the dark one or anyone is just saying, Hey, I will give you this opportunity to leave your low life behind. Then will you take it? You're going to take it. So sure. She's like, believable. On, yeah. On paper, from what we saw on the show, she looks like she was just pure evil. But like I said, you know, villains have backstories too. And we don't know what her childhood was like that drove her to make the decisions that she made at this point in time. I don't think we will because she's dead as fuck right now. <laughs> that's so good drink. <laughs> yeah anytime dave says at this point in time Take you have a to shot. Drink. yeah <laughs> you have to drink so after this philosophical conversation maya is feeling something in the maya. air damn it dana is feeling something <laughs> oh, i thought you were joking <laughs> so she leans in to kiss rand 
And he obviously does not reciprocate. Mr. Faithful, man. Yeah, my man is taken. Yeah. Get out of here. And speaking of being taken by Egwene, she then flips a switch and is like, oh, maybe the braid was too much. And Matt Rana rather is kind of like, what the fuck's going on? And she's like, I think I guess I look a little bit too much like Egwene. And that's when he's like, oh, fuck. Like, How the fuck do you know that? Name? Yeah. So then they get into a little bit of an altercation. She ends up with the sword because Rand is an idiot. Yep. And he is basically has an iron, well, not iron, but it's she mentioned some iron wood. Yeah. She said that the, the weight that it would take to bust open the locked door would be the weight of three men. Yeah. So that's behind him. Maya has his heron mark sword in front of him. So he's almost out of options, except he says, fuck that shit. Well, first she asks why, like what's going on right now? She needs Matt as well is why they're just going to sit there in a stalemate. I just like to emphasize the fact that she wasn't specifically going for Rand, but like waiting for Matt equally. So Rand looks at this door that Maya says would take three men to break down. And after a couple tries, starts really throwing his weight into it and knocks that bitch down. And I was like, he's the dragon reborn. <laughs> Can you guys comment on that? Like, is Rand just supposed to be that strong? Was it like a story plot hole potentially that is just like nothing is a plot hole this early on? That's all I need to hear. That's all I need to hear. Just continue. Dragon reborn. That's I don't know. He seems all right. Obviously, he has the strength of more than one man. Yeah, Maybe that's all. I, that's all I needed. The confirmation is, is, is what that, I is got. That, from is that, that yes? All I needed the confirmation was that he is as strong as three men. That's or Dana sucks at math and doesn't. Know. <laughs> <Dana sucks laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> also that's definitely a possibility. I think it's well known that dark friends can't do math. <laughs> that's great. So a chase ensues. Dana is now chasing Matt, who then meets up with Rand through the town of Breen Spring. She is just moving like a motherfucker. She Dude. runs like the Terminator, which I thought was great. So she ends up cornering them because obviously she knows the town better than they do. And then she starts getting on her little philosophical vibe again. And I just fucking love this part of the episode. This she is the best dialogue, I think, of all three episodes. Yeah. So Dana corners them and reveals that she has seen five people in her dreams that she is now hunting because she wants to be rewarded. She wants to break out of this town. And I just think this part is so important that we talk kind of deeper about what she's actually speaking because she gets into some really philosophical shit here about the wheel of time and how the dragon can break it and that she doesn't actually want to kill the dragon. And I'm just curious what you guys thought when she says that, because I feel like we've been running from Trollocs and Fades and we've seen what they've done, and they've done nothing but massacre people. So do, were you guys interested that she said she doesn't want to kill them? Uh, she was talking about breaking the Wheel of Time, and I was like, are, are the Dark Friends the good guys? <laughs> like, I, like, the thought did cross my mind, but then you think about, you know, they literally did hunt and just massacre, so how can they be the good guys? But it makes you think, okay, if the Dark One can send whispers into you know the four or the five of them can he send whispers into somebody else to try to manipulate them um we also know that by being a dark friend she has sold her body and soul to the darkness so like mm -hmm. maybe she can be manipulated by them a little bit i don't know i could see it going like either way the the dark ones actually the dark one actually does believe he's doing the right thing he is trying to break the wheel and Aes Sedai are believe they're trying to do the right thing. I could see the Aes Sedai being bad. I could see Moraine being bad. I don't know. It's nuts. And I love it. 
I was taken aback by the fact that she wanted to capture them alive, essentially. Again, if she is like a good person at heart and just wants to break the wheel, then she's looking for the Dragon Reborn not to just, you know, not to kill them, but she just wants her own lifestyle to change. From that perspective, it makes sense that she wouldn't want to capture them, have them killed right away. She would rather bring them in, get the money back for herself or have the her destiny get changed. Um, so I, I was a little bit surprised, but after thinking about it, not so much. Yeah. So the first two episodes were so focused on just showing the threat of what the shadow spawn are, the, the demons of the dark ones armies. And this third episode, especially this random Matt storyline really goes to show the danger of the dark friends. And like you're saying, Dave, there's motives here where she, where Dana goes on to say that the reason I'm trying to bring you to the dark one is because. The last person that brought the dragon to the dark one, we're still talking about that person 3,000 years later. And that person was Ishmael. She she names him Ishmael. And she could uh, interpret breaking the wheel as a good thing in the past. Like, for sure. It could just like maybe in the past, breaking the wheel would have caused chaos, but like thousands of years later or whatever it is, like it could get misinterpreted as it was a it was a good thing. Yeah. Like it, there there's legit motivations for people to to buy into this mindset. And who knows if the mindset is being synthetically planted there by the dark one or if there's true aspirations of, of being on this side. Because that's the whole power and appeal of random people who are just random peasants of going to the dark one side and becoming dark friends is exactly what you're saying. It gives you an opportunity to live a crazy life where you're promised unbelievable riches. You can be one of these people of legend. Like she's saying that we're talking about 3000 years later and she can live the life that she's trying to live. So all that put together, she says the line about, yeah, people from fishermen to Queens can be dark friends. And I'm going to be the one that's going to bring the dragon to the dark one. Fuck. Yeah. Basically that's what, that's where her whole mindset is. And to me, that's one of the best things that sets apart the wheel of time from other fantasy series. She also does believe that the Dark One wants to save everyone. She mm-hmm. says, like, I am bringing you to him so the, you can break the wheel and then save everybody instead of murder and countless horror and sorrow over and over again. So it's it's wild. Like, is is she brainwashed or she does she have knows, a point? Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, who knows if the propaganda is coming from the eyes to die or the dark side? Like, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So she then reveals that she has called an eyeless. And one of them is on its way. And I just want to highlight the, the exact words that she uses. So she says, I called one of the eyeless mm-hmm. up to this point. Did you think that there was only one of them? No. no, we knew that there was one dark one. I feel like his right hand man would be a little bit more intellectual than just like an eyeless. I, I don't know what the eyeless are about, but I just imagine them being a little bit more non-generic than okay. just an eyeless. So you think that there's more than one? I figured there would be more than one eyeless. I legitimately thought the eyeless was the dark one, to be honest, like watching it through the first time. I mean, yeah. earlier this episode, Luke was saying... They look alike, too, when they have the ember. Like, if you just put the eyeless with ember eyes... Yeah, without the eyes. Yeah. yeah. If, they just, <laughs> if they had eyes that were like embers... <laughs> then, yes, they would. Where you like going? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we missed that. Oh, shit. That's right here. That's right here. So Dana's philosophy 101 lecture ends with a knife through the throat. Yeah. By our boy Tom Marilyn. I just love this scene because random matter so starstruck. Not even starstruck. They're just, I guess, shell shocked that this is all happening. And Tom's like, 
Let's go. Like, what are you doing? She just said she's a dark friend. Sworn body and soul to the dark one. Yeah. I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> she <laughs> said she called an eyeless, exactly, dude. dude. He yeah. knows. He understands. And then I think, I don't know if it's, I think it's Rand because Rand hasn't really met him yet. And he's like, we're not going anywhere with you. And he's like, well, if you think that a fade slash eyeless is going to be a better traveling companion, be my guest. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we see Maya slash Dana's body on the ground. And blood starts leaking for, I believe it's Matt is looking down at her and the blood starts to pool. And then there seems to be a different shade of darker blood that kind of goes through it. And that could have just been the cool scene change to the scene transition that it was. But I, the way I interpreted it was, you know, by being a dark friend, by selling her body or sworn body and soul to the dark one, she was physically manipulated by the dark one. So you're saying that yeah becoming a dark one or a dark friend changes you phys- physically. Yeah, like maybe your blood's darker or something than normal. And I think that's it because we already crushed the the Land yeah. Marine naive storyline, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to reemphasize the fact that I think that Matt and Rand run through in episode 3 is just peak. It's, it's it's peak. It's ending it on a high note for me. And like I've been obviously gushing over the fact that how much I love the dark friend showing like this is the first time if you're the first time being introduced to the wheel time story, I think just focus on how on how important this is going to be and the implications of what this means. Dana had a backstory. Dana was believable. She was genuinely good for so long and she was still evil. Just know that going forward, be skeptical of everybody. Love that. Love just being on the edge of your seat. You can't trust. Can't trust any motherfucker that's it and that's what i'm gonna like anytime now we like any of our main four or five characters evil. Get yeah I'm just gonna be dark like, friend there's a potential for this but that's the evil. thing yeah. that's what the white cloaks do they go around dark friend dark friend oh shit you just said cunt dark friend like you right, just if you're literally... telling me i guess i'll join the white cloaks then <laughs> i'll just hop around murdering all these bitches couple things we got to do before we can get out of this fucking four hour yeah podcast. my favorite characters yeah i'll tell them yes i want three things here i want you to give me your top three favorite characters I want you to tell me who you think the Dragon Reborn is, put it on the board, and then we're going to do our Ben Kilmary. All right. Money, because I already did the top three characters. Uh, and I'm going to give my honorable, honorable mentions as well. So sit okay. tight for that. But top three characters right now, no particular order, Matt, Lan, and Tom Marilyn. Honorable mentions go to Nynaeve and Valda as, well, not Valda, just like I think he falls into the interesting. So I'll just give it to Nynaeve as honorable mention. What were some of the other th- questions you had? I want to know who you think genuinely think is the dragon reborn right now Perrin. that's the first one that comes to my mind is Perrin. okay paul uh the characters i gotta have tom just because he's an old wise badass dude and he's just he just seems to know what the deal is and what to do so he's automatically a beast and he can sing land just you know what are you gonna do he's a sword master obviously he's gonna two for two paul you gonna differentiate with me on this last one what's up i i i honestly wanted to say moraine because okay. she's just so badass and strong. But I needed to give it to Nynaeve. 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 Because, like we mentioned, like she, her potential's there. And she has this backstory. This, this badass secret stalker tracker-like side that apparently nobody knows about. And I want to know where it came from. Hopefully, we'll learn more about the old wisdom that brought her to the two mm-hmm. rivers and everything. Yeah. She's just such a unknown for me. Um, and I just love her attitude because she doesn't take no shit. And who is the dragon reborn? Oh, you know, this is important. This is your first guess. I know. So I'm going to need a little bit. <laughs> I mean, 
they all had their fucking moments. It's in it's so hard to for me to guess. Put I, one on the board, buddy. Right. Three. I'm two, not gonna I'm gonna say one. not turn. I'm not gonna say not. I'm gonna say it is three, two, one. Dragon Reborn is if I say Dragon Reborn is, you finish it with dude. I don't fucking know. I'm gonna go Gwen. I'm going to Gwen. I'm going to Gwen. Okay. Wow, the one that I was talking shit on the man. I, for being I, I wanted to say Rand, but I'm going to Gwen. Okay. So I will step in next. My top three characters at this point, pure show, because book, parents, my guy till I die. But I'm going to go with Nynaeve, number one. I think she's just amazing in the show. I love everything I've seen from her. Number two is going to be Tom Marilyn. We only got him for a short amount of time, but goddamn, he's the bomb. And number three will be Lan, because Lan's just the OG. So Lan and Perrin, or, or Lan and um, yeah. Tom are mm-hmm. the, the and then Same theory as me. My guess for the Dragon Reborn will be Tom Marilyn. <laughs> okay. Wow. Wow, I'm going to guess. Go. So my three favorite, which actually changed after my rewatch. So originally it was going to be it was going to be Moraine, Rand, and uh, Lan. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I fucking love Rand. I'm, I'm such a Rand fan. I think that like his actor is just he's just great. Perfect. Now. And I actually, oh my! Throughout the rewatches, I switched out Lan. He'll once he gets more screen time, he'll be fucking up there. But I actually put Matt in, and I hate that I put Matt in because of the whole behind the scenes thing that's he going on. With him. But he I fucking forth. love Matt. And then my guess, or honorable mention to Leandrin because of just like how good she wow, is as a, really? as a okay. character, like portrayal of her book. Not like you guys, we haven't even gotten any screen time for her. Mm. But uh, yeah, Matt's mom is going to be the Dragon's Reborn. <laughs> That's B- a good one. BKM, hot BKM take right here. Well, yeah, right. of course. We got to end it with the Benchtown Classic. Let's do a BKM, Dave. You said you have one lined up. I now. have one that's so fucked up. You guys are just going to want to cry. All right, let's do it. All right. A Trolloc, oh my God. an Eyeless, <laughs> or the Dark One. Bang, kill Mary. Okay. And I'll start. Marry the Dark One for the power. Obviously, <laughs> I don't care. They're all probably fucking crazy, so... That Xnay is that. Now it's tough. <laughs> now we're getting to the tough part here. I thought you knew what you wanted when you went to go first. I was just hot. I just knew right away that I wanted to marry. <laughs> you knew one of the three. I knew, I, like, I, I, knew I wanted to marry the dark one. I'll uh, just slip on my hands and just not even think about a banging eyeless and we'll just kill a trollic. That's where I'm going. I'll go next because that's my answer. I'm <laughs> definitely going to marry the dark one totally gonna just hit me a fade and then there's no way i'm banging a trolley yeah so although yeah. me and the eye that's purely sex there's no oral involved oh, bro i was gonna say that. i was gonna bang the eyeless for the oral so oh, whoa ripped for his pleasure you want to blow the eyeless you're saying no he wants no, those I teeth see what that mouth do jeez <laughs> I think, worry, I, have, I think be, I have a good idea what that mouth does. I'm definitely gonna be also marrying the dark one. Fuck! What a terrible bank I'll marry. Yeah, no, that's why I was like, this is so perfect. There will be better BKMs for the listeners. Don't worry. This is the this is the one that I just instantly didn't answer over. yet. Okay, a, well, kill the trollic because that's like borderline bestiality. Um, yeah, it is bestiality. Probably. I mean, gotta gotta marry the dark one. He's, he has a mouth that isn't filled with teeth. <laughs> And then, you yeah. bang the one that has a mouthful of teeth it's like it's gonna be no kissing sex it's, it's <laughs> gonna be strictly sex no. strictly missionary for this guy. yeah just flip right. him over slap a bag on it lights off dude lights let's get off. some parting shots in here because this has been a long one i feel like i'm dead right now so there's like what three hours of content 
All right. So I got a few theories or open-ended questions. One is why do the dark friends receive visions of five and Moraine cell four? I don't understand. Hopefully we find out. Honestly, I had like, could the dark one actually be good? But I don't think that's actually a thing. It's just the fact that it's still up in the air because of the whole Dana conversation saying he will save everybody. I, I could believe it. I don't know. I also definitely, I said it before, I want to know why the sacred pool that Nynaeve stayed in is sacred. Um, because they've already talked about it in the first episode. It's a privilege to clean it, hit in it. It saved her. I also can't wait to learn more about Lan as a ward and the relationship ward. Warder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Durr. Warder and... The warder and the ice die relationship in general about like how they are chosen. Are they like, do you choose or is it chosen for you? Uh, the whole relationship is just really cool. Also, how do the eyeless know where to go? How do they know where? <laughs> I'm not saying because I can't see. <laughs> is that why you're laughing? That's why I laugh. <laughs> I meant like, how does how does the dark one know where to send his army? Like, how do they tracking these dragon reborn? Like, is it the same way Moraine does? Um, and finally, in the beginning of the Matt and Rand story in this episode, they have a line where it's saying, hey, where should we go? And they say, well, all roads lead to the White Tower. Like the that's not how roads work. Yeah, <laughs> love that line. I thought it was amazing. But that line, it seems like they're just kind of all being forced east. Like they're all just somehow encountering something that's forcing them east. With, with Perrin and Egwene, it's the wolves. With uh, with Matt and Rand, it's now Tom. And you know, of course, Lan and Moraine. They were trying to go to the White Tower anyway. So it seems like the the world is making them go east so like all roads end east or end of the white tower but overall impressions though solid start oh yeah it's phenomenal like i can't wait to watch the rest mm -hmm. i thought it was incredibly good first episode ending to the first episode made you want to watch more and the way it just builds each episode will kind of give you a little bit more answers but you know a million more questions and the world building is phenomenal i mean we've already talked about the factions the landscape shots that they have, like it's so rewarding just seeing the different types of like landmarks. Um, I, I love it. And it's it's definitely a world that I would fucking love to read about. It's just really funny because just all of my questions and or like theories have to do with parent. <laughs> you are my guy. Everything dude. is just like parents ability to talk to wolves. Weird. The parents ability to dream about the dark one and just weird. And I find that character, even though I didn't mention him as one of my favorites, I just think that alone is just enough sustenance and mystery to make me want to just continue watching alone. Overall impressions, just phenomenal three episodes. Can't stress that enough. Sure, the first one's going to be a little bit slower, but the next two absolutely will bring you uh, really into the world of everything and just give you a better understanding of how everything works. And it's just so great to see that we can finally discuss this as an official binge town podcast with two subject matter experts and i'm excited for foreman i really think that they dick teased us with those that first three release and the screeners and i've been dying to watch episode four for almost two months now and i just can't wait i'll let kyle end this strong here um just give my two piece here i think that 
this has been this blew my expectations out of the water and i already had high expectations also because i'm just a fantasy slut i fucking love it all i cannot wait to see how the show treats the character at the end of the episode of episode three i don't know i don't want to say his name the character that the Aes Sedai had in the cage that's going to be one of the most interesting things that i like i'm looking forward to seeing that mixed with whatever adventures rand matt and tom Marilyn get up to together is just drawing me in and then the last thing that i'm really freaking looking forward to is how the show treats the white cloaks because it seems like we're going to lean way more into that and and the brutality specifically of valda like i'm really looking forward to all that overall fantastic i can't gush enough about the dark friends I think it's amazing and i just just ready to go man i'm ready to see more dark one visions more dreams and find out when the dragon reborn reveal happens and like how people react to that in, in general for people that don't know yeah i mean my heart is just singing that we've been able to do this podcast i love hearing all of the ways that dave and paul are trying to decipher what's going on the series is very famous for foreshadowing so the fact that you guys are paying attention at this level and picking up on a lot of things is good and i like the way you guys are crafting theories based off of all of it there's so many things that you guys said are wrong there's so many things you guys said are right it's just going to be so fun as we keep going with this series this is the journey of a lifetime. I always say it. There's not better character development for a cast of characters in any series I've ever read. This is going to be a fucking blast. So after all of that, you stuck with us through three episodes of us geeking out on as many details as we could fucking try to fucking talk about on these episodes or this episode rather. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. We love you. Bingetown TV out. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.